This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. We're live. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to another edition of Dojo Live today. Uh, my name is Marielle. We have uh, our, our co-host, Carlos Antulio. And today we're having Paul Coyne and Michael Wang, both founders of Inspiring. Thank you very much for being with us today. Um, Paul and Michael, um, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the idea behind Inspiring. What, what, what exactly is Inspiring? Uh, so Inspiring is a medical technology company that uses advanced computer vision and sensors uh, to essentially transform any hospital room into the AI environment of the future. Um, Inspiring was uh, co-founded by myself uh, and also Coldpoint, our fellow uh, clinicians and uh, those who are from the technology um, industry. And uh, we teamed up with a brilliant team of uh, MIT engineers. And uh, this is one of the first times that clinicians and engineers have worked side by side uh, to create something that brings healthcare to the future. Well, very impressive. <laughs> hey guys, I'm sorry. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm not sure if uh, Mary, you were gonna ask that, but uh, maybe introduce yourselves a little bit to the audience. I'll, I'll let Paul uh, start on that one. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so my, my name is Paul, Paul Coyne. Um, I'm a nurse. Mike and I actually met in, in nursing school. My background before nursing was in, um, in, I worked at Goldman Sachs. I was a derivatives trader um, and suffered a stroke and went back to a lot of school and um, tried to redefine myself uh, as a nurse. Um, one to, the, I, I think the nurse is the role that's able to heal all aspects of the patient, both physically and emotionally. And I learned that firsthand as a patient and wanted to be able to do that for, for others. And uh, two, I wanted to prove to myself that I was, that was capable after I, I had a stroke. So I went back to school, uh, became a nurse and, and um, was fortunate enough to, to meet, um, meet Mike in, in nursing school. Uh, and um, after that, my career led me to analytics. Um, and Mike will talk about how his career led him to the bedside. But uh, my, my, career in nursing led me to informatics and analytics and and Mike led his his was led to clinical practice so we became friends in nursing school and stayed in touch and then Mike uh, had this idea and then and called me up and then we started uh, this company together um, bringing our our background um, so that's that's me that, that's amazing that is a story all in itself oh uh, yeah no it's told enough though we, we have to... not to learn more about that that's an amazing story thank you for joining yeah. us today yeah no, no problem. Um, so my background in uh, nursing is also my uh, second career as well. Uh, my first career was uh, in the United States Army. And uh, my background is also in business entrepreneurship as well. Um, I got my MBA from Columbia. And at the same time, I uh, pursued my second bachelor's um, in nursing. And Paul and I both uh, went on to uh, get our advanced degrees from, uh, from Columbia uh, as well. And the, uh, the entire concept of the, of the company uh, really came from the, the critical issues and gaps that we saw in clinical practice. And when I linked up with Paul, who was uh, heading the analytics um, uh, at a major hub, uh, we, we connected in terms of how to uh, bridge the clinical gaps that I saw at the bedside and also uh, the, the data analytics gaps that he saw on his side. 
and I specialize in cardiothoracic surgery, and Paul specialized in data analytics, and uh, when we um, joined forces, it made a lot of sense for us to create a technology that's never existed before, and um, like they say, uh, the rest was history. Very cool. Marielle? What's the topic uh, well, our topic today is uh, the world's first co cognitive patient care assistant, which is inspiring. Um, well, you you talked about uh, a little bit about what, what's what's inspiring. Uh, how does it work? Uh, we, we would like to go more in depth on, on that. Like, how does it work? Uh, you said this is like a, a monitor tool for patients. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about that? Like what, what kind of things are monitored? How, how does, ex does it exactly work? Yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's much more than uh, just monitoring actually. Um, so as, as everyone knows, uh, the patient's care environment inside the patient's room, uh, it's, it's a very dynamic environment. And the critical care that actually takes place in that environment, uh, currently there's no insight to what is actually happening in the patient's environment. Uh, so a lot of the adverse events such as falls, medication errors, procedural errors, uh, patient safety issues, all of these things exist in real time and are happening in real time in those environments, but there's absolutely no way for clinicians to be able to identify them, to be able to analyze them, or to be able to leverage data and more sophisticated software to be able to predict bad things before they happen. So Inspiring is positioned to use computer vision and band sensors. So um, the entire thing works as one small hardware device that essentially goes behind um, the patient's bed that creates a 180 degree view of the entire hospital room and automatically uses computer vision to not only map the environment, but also automatically analyze uh, things that are happening inside that environment. Uh, some of the things that we capture are patient-staff interactions, patient behavior, staff behavior, uh, also environmental uh, factors that can contribute to patients' uh, well-being, safety, uh, as well as comfort. So all of these things um, are data that we are currently collecting, and we are so far the only uh, company on the market uh, that can collect these kinds of critical data, analyze it, and we're in the process of integrating and defining the way that we use these kinds of data in conjunction with the electronic medical record system in how to define the role of AI and how to create the neural network to be able to create sophisticated um, predictive algorithms, analytics engines for us to be able to have a very high accuracy in predicting adverse events from happening, and also, most importantly, for us to prevent those things from happening in the first place. Okay, so I have a, a burning question. Um, there's talk about how to leverage AI in healthcare. There's a lot of talk about it, uh, whether it's scientific research, where you have multiple permutations to discover cures to disease, but this sounds a little bit more practical in everyday sort of life. Uh, how is Inspiring leading the way, if, and if so, uh, in terms of introducing practical use of AI in the healthcare business? That's a, that's a great question. Um, with, with AI, everyone's talking about AI, but very few people really 
truly understand the infrastructure or the architecture of how AI actually works or functions. And more importantly, uh, before the event of singularity, which is when AI becomes uh, self-conscious and, and uh, we go into the age of Terminators, um, AI right now is only, <laughs> AI is only as good as the data that we feed it. Uh, so if it's garbage in, it's garbage out. Um, so Inspiring is playing its part in defining the data structure um, and how we look at data, how we feed the data into, into the AI platform. Um, this particular uh, intellectual framework, we call it MDMDS. It stands for Multi-Dimensional Modular Data Synthesis. So all of the data that Inspiring collects are in a way um, imagine uh, an atom, if you will, right? There's the nucleus uh, of, the, of the atom, and then there are all these electrons that are evolving around the nucleus. Look at the nucleus as the particular problem they're trying to solve, right? All of the problems in healthcare is not, does not occur in a linear causality, meaning A leads only to B, right? Um, the problems that we have are multidimensional. For example, patient falls. Uh, is not simply solve one thing and then all faults disappear. They're multi uh, causes and multiple dimensions to the to, to the problem. So all of the new all of the electrons around the nucleus are all of the data points and causalities that contribute to the problem, which is the nucleus. Inspiring's approach to data synthesis is that the central problem we are solving it by pulling data from all of these individual other areas of data that we know causes the central problem. Now, the modular part of this that's interesting is any source of data should not just serve the purpose of solving one problem. Data should be able to be disassembled in a modular sense where, for example, if you're solving another problem such as staffing, for example, um, the, the exact same sets of data could be pulled um, and reassembled to address the, the problem of staffing. Um, therefore, from problem to problem, all of these data are shared almost like covalent bonds, taking us back to uh, high school physics. Um, it's, it's, it's all of these things sharing data and being able to pull from the same data sets to solve multiple problems that really truly creates a neural network where rich amounts of data can really feed and be able to solve sophisticated problems uh, in a multi-dimensional kind of a way. Is it safe to say that what you've done is turn a nucleus the way people use machine learning into a, basically one of the machines that it, it's learning from? That's correct. Simplifying it, perhaps, but that correct. And the and the more you do it, um, the smarter and more efficient it becomes until the point where it could autonomously decide which data points to pull uh, in order to solve the specific problems that it's trying to solve. Okay, this is quite big. Um, I'm curious, what gave birth to this to inspiring? Like, you guys got together, obviously, <laughs> each other. Like, what was that moment? It's like, you know what? This is what we need to do, and here's why. Yeah, so I'll let Paul tell that story. <laughs> so yeah, so Mike, uh, Mike actually was out um, on short-term disability. He was in a camping accident and cut his cut his leg. Um, and I was out for a couple of weeks. And I, as his leg I healed, my leg, I put an axe into my leg. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> so he, he, he yeah he saved himself. And uh, so 
he was um he was home and 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 I think he was a little restless if I can speak for him right Mike and and wanted to was home thinking about um all the all the problems that he that he, he was facing as a nurse and just really wanted to be able to practically solve a solution one of the one of the things that that Mike spoke about with MDMDS you know the, the data that we're using is not a historic you know, data set. Most of AI in healthcare now is built off historic data sets that are then aggregated and tried to be combined together to then make a new prediction about something that will happen in the future. And our hybrid sensing device on the wall is unique in that it's collecting the data from the physical and digital environment using AI and machine learning to sort them out and correct them right, right then. There's no data set. Most AI in healthcare is this ag historical aggregation of the data set. Um, so that's not how though it evolved to that um our our the initial idea was to put one device on a wall just for falls uh prevention mike wanted to solve falls and um originally we were kind of going to be like the shazam or the hospital room if you will of collecting all of the noises that are um bed alarms iv pumps sort of listening um not pulling the data from an api of when those go off but really being able to integrate any noise that goes off in the room and know that it, it goes off so we started to assemble a sound database and the hospital said this is great you know we're able to alert which bed alarms going off down the hall so that the nurse doesn't have to try and find it um but that uh, that we really if we were going to take up a plug uh, plugs were real real prime real estate in a hospital room and if we were going to take up a plug we needed to make the device even even more um more robust. So we um, partnered with a, with a, a um, found just we emailed a lot of a lot of individuals, um, college professors, you know, experts in IT and, and AI and machine learning space. And really, um, Mike's vision the whole time was to, um, which ended up being the company vision, was to put one device on the wall, just just one, because along the way, people were like, no, 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 you could have one device, but also this, you know, and also this. And before you know it, you have 10 little things all around the room that you have to install. And uh, you know, Mike, um, to, to give him credit, because he probably won't brag about himself, but I'll, I'll do it for him, you know, was very uh, adamant about having this one one device on, on the wall. And ultimately, we <clears throat> used Bluetooth low energy and computer vision, in addition to all of the other environmental sensors of sound, light and temperature, sound, uh, microphones in, in, in the room to be able to know exactly what happens physically and digitally in that in that space. So it's evolved uh, over time, you know, a lot of ups and downs and failed failed attempts as as every um, startup has, um, but ultimately found a great development partner. We learned and iterated on the device. The design of the device went through over 70 uh, iterations to to really come up with the, the final uh, form factor and the uh, and the specific design. Um, partnered with some individuals from MIT who are now you know full time with our company as our chief technology officer and and um, partnered with a, a development company in Brooklyn in the Navy Yard to really bring the vision to to life. Um, and partnered with clinicians, Columbia University nursing. You know we really um, assembled a full a full group of of people to really uh, get behind this um, to get behind the company vision. That sounds amazing. It really does. Um... I want to open up to questions from the audience. If anyone has a question, they can submit them on Twitter at Dojo Live. Carlos is keeping tabs on them. He will interrupt us and ask a question. Same thing for those watching on LinkedIn Live. You can post them right on the stream, and uh, we'll ask those questions to both uh, Michael and uh, Paul. Sure. Hey, hey, Tulio, <clears throat> about questions. We do have one, and, and awesome. it's actually from one of our guys here internally. The question comes from Sandra, our very dear uh, Sandra ba Vasquez. Uh, she's part of the sales and marketing team and also the UX team. 
And hold on one second. Uh, let me just read it to you because I have her here on Slack. Okay, Sandra is asking, what's the, what's the biggest challenge in your opinion in your industry overall related to improving the customer experience and its impact on adoption? That's, that's a great question um, because any technology, no matter how sophisticated or uh, how great it is, uh, if it does not have uh, end user adoption, is essentially useless. So one of the, the key uh, benefits and the key um, differentiators of Inspiring is that we are the end users. Um, we're not using some um, clinical consultant of some sort uh, to advise us on how to, how to make the technology. We lived and breathed the pains of what happens when we do not have insight into our patient's environment. Um, so from day one, anywhere from the UX perspective, all the way to the design of the device, um, which uh, this year won the, um, the Innovation Design Award from Fast Company. And uh, we thought this thing through every single step. And not only trusting our own clinical instincts, but also continuously involving um, practicing clinicians um, as a part of our design and um, functionality team to advise us on what's valuable to them, what they would like to see, how they would like to use it. And even after deployment, even till today, um, every single moment that we get, we're receiving real-time feedback from our customers and we are getting very, very good at listening, listening to our customers, listening to the frontline people, listening to the managers and the executives from the, from the clients and and uh, putting all of that into a knowledge base um, that gives us a very rich and a very robust way that guides design. Design must be guided by functionality, by user experience. Um, so Inspiring is very, very adamant and very, very committed to that design process. And we are religious about it and we're extremely committed um, to high, adoption rate uh, and so far uh, knock on wood uh, we have achieved a very very high adoption rates and the most fulfilling part is to see our end users come back to us and say you know what i absolutely love using this and uh, a differentiator of inspiring is also to really transform very complex data in real time to something that the average everyday clinician can hold in their hand and know actually what's going on and using it to help their clinical practice in real time. Uh, in the end, not everybody's going to learn Tableau. Not everybody's going to learn sophisticated software. So it's really democratizing data in a way where it puts the power inside the hands of every single clinician. OK, I have a question. Uh, very early, 30 years ago, maybe a little more than 30 years ago, my very first job was in Great Neck, Long Island, part time on, in the summer with a physician a company called Physician Reciprocal Insurance, which is a malpractice insurance company. Yep. Is this the kind of technology that can improve care to the point where it could also um, help avoid some challenges that a lot of hospitals and doctors face related to absolutely, you know, malpractice cases that are really not uh, not actually don't have merit, or and also does it help hold them more accountable? That's actually a critical part. First of all, I'm from Long Island, so uh, <laughs> it's good to hear that. Uh, but
But, um, but the inspiring technology, a, a big use case is to be able to objectively, right, objectively provide data um, that can validate clinical practice and also um, the, the, the great job that clinicians are doing. Um, and actually, Inspirons has already been used in the capacity uh, to be able to validate the works of nurses and uh, also other types of clinicians um, in real time of the work they actually did, despite per perhaps a complaint against them or, or, or whatnot. So it's already being used in that kind of capacity, but we foresee that Inspiron actually will become a, a data standard, for example, for uh, Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, um, to be able to use this data as a kind of a golden standard of care uh, that, can, that can objectively define actions of clinicians and defend them if it needs to be, um, but also really just to create um, a non-biased view of the, of the clinical environment uh, in a way that's very productive. Marielle, I'm sure you have some questions by now. Yeah, yeah I was thinking like, the, the whole picture, like how does it work? And, and I was thinking like, is it working right now? Are you, are you having it implemented at a hospital right now? Yeah, it's, uh, it's live uh, in a clinical environment. It's one of the very, very first, if not the first um, computer vision um, platforms uh, to, to be live in the, in the clinical environment. And, um, and people uh, from clinicians to managers to patients um, and they're loving it. Uh, all of the, so tying back to the question about the UX, um, the, all of the hard work that we put up front to think things through in order to create something that people will use and people will enjoy using, uh, that really paid off in the, in the go live phase of the technology. And because of that, um, we had arguably one of the smoothest and um, most, uh, uh, most outstanding uh, deployment of a, of a brand new technology um, ever. So uh, credit to the team, credit to all of those who work incredibly hard um, to make sure that it's successful in the clinical environment. And just to add on to the, the validation component of that technology after it was implemented, um, Columbia University School of Nursing did uh, pretty novel research that hasn't been able to been done before in this way because the data was not available on, um, on a wide variety of not only measures such as time spent with patients, frequency of patients, hourly rounding, bedside reporting, compliance in nursing uh, metrics, but um, also on their outcomes, such as falls, Im impact of the patient satisfaction, impact of pressure ulcer prevention. So um, that research is being published by Columbia um, Nursing. We have a partnership with them and they've been, they've been very uh, wonderful. Um, so th that just not only is it on the wall, but it's also being validated by independent uh, third-party academic centers. Tell us a little bit about the journey, guys. You know, uh, lessons you've learned along the way, challenges you've faced. Uh, everyone's always curious to hear how you got here, right? You're having success, you're getting adoption, you've got something that literally makes the world a better place. But getting there, I'm sure it's been, it's been quite, quite a journey. So please share with us something about lessons you've learned, challenges you've had along the way. Yeah. Uh to do what we do from day one to get to here, um, there's no way to really sugarcoat it except to say that one must have a very high tolerance for, for pain. Um, to, to not have any illusion about what it takes to innovate. Innovation is pain. 
Um, and the more pain that you take on as the innovator, um, the less pain the adopter and the end, end user will experience. I really um, so quote that, Carlos. We've got to quote that. That's a quotable thing. So say that again. The more pain you take on as the innovator, yes. the less pain those you're innovating for. Experience. Yeah, correct. And, um, you know, um, it, it's extremely important that starting from day one, you build the culture of the company according to that philosophy, right? Um, so it's not when it gets painful, people begin to really lose focus and really begin to question, oh, is this the right thing and whatnot. From the very beginning, uh, expect the very worst. Um, expect to take on, take on the pain. Expect, welcome it actually, because, because that's what's gonna really make your team uh, extraordinarily strong when when things get very very rough and trust me there are moments uh, and Paul and I will put this in a book uh, in, the, in the very near future there are moments where it's almost like a movie really it's it's it's, it's very very um, cinematic in a way because that's how hard it gets and that's how uh, a lot of days um, the difference between failure and success is just on the very edge of the sword. It's on the very, very edge of the blade. Either way, it could tip. But what makes it tip in one way versus the other is the extraordinary willpower that we build because we welcome the pain mentality, knowing that we went through hell together and nothing will phase us and we will never quit, we will never falter, and we will lean on each other and get through anything. Um, and never compromise the vision. Never ever compromise the vision, no matter how many people try to rattle your cage or try to um, really push you to one direction versus another. Um, really build your team in that way. And it will, when it becomes autopilot, um, it makes the job of the CEO and also the jobs of executive leadership much, much easier in a way where you don't have to constantly tweak and adjust the culture because the culture was built on a foundation so solid and it's based on the real thing, which is the pain that we went through to, to make it what it is today. So um, I think that's probably the most important lesson uh, for me from day one. And uh, I'm sure Paul can also share with uh, Yeah, I mean, I, th I think completely agree. Just you have to like the people that you're doing, going through that experience with. And I think Mike, uh, want, as the leader, has assembled uh, has set that vision, but also we've both been very fortunate to have a wonderful uh, team with us um, who make um, who who we want to be sort of in the trenches with and and who are all there for each other. If you have uh, particularly with a small startup, um, every single person, if you have a company of five thousand people, maybe one person you know might not be an okay not be having that same philosophy as Mike just stated. Maybe the company can still succeed with the other four thousand nine hundred and and ninety nine. But if there's only three or two of us and then you know growing to five six seven however you know ten however many there are now um it will it's not possible if you don't really have each other's backs as mike stated and and really um all all sort of adopt that same philosophy so um the struggle has been a real uh, has, has been real um but also the the fulfillment that comes from um doing something with with all those people that you look up to and admire and, and achieving a common uh, goal together um, not necessarily the, this great result that we have, but just the lessons learned in that journey, um, I think, make the struggle worth it. And people that you're doing this with. Yeah, um, I was just going to say, I, I, when I did a startup, I used to joke around and say, when people say, how are you doing? I would say, 
we're in that sweet spot of uh, becoming a billion dollar unicorn or being out of business. We're uh, <laughs> on that edge of that sweet spot all the time. Tell us a little bit about what you've adopted in terms of culture. We're running out of time. We literally have like minutes left. It's always, that always happens when we start to have fun with this. Tell us a little bit about your culture. You mentioned about the team, having the right team. What kind of culture have you adopted that allows you to attract that kind of talent? Um, I, I, think, I think our team is designed in a way where it's not for everybody. Uh, we're a very intense, very relentless, and a lot of that culture was adopted from my special forces days. And uh, we put that right into the way that we structure the company. So the expectation is very, very clear from, from very early on. You come and join the inspiring team, um, be ready to be absolutely relentless in the way that you pursue your goals, the way you work with each other, your commitment to one another. Um, it, it's absolute and thorough. So uh, with that culture in place, it's very easy uh, or relatively easy for us to immediately realize who doesn't belong and, uh, and who does. And those um, who are with us, I can honestly say, like I said before, um, I'm always in all of these people. It could be, you know, we could be going on the 40th hour uh, working straight and all of us are absolutely just depleted, but I can sit in that room, I can look around the people that are in that room, I can say, man, I, I get to work with Vin Casito, I get to work with uh, Paul Coyne, I get to work with, these are just people I genuinely look up to, admire, and they make me better as a person. Um, if you have that kind of a team, that kind of a culture, um, it doesn't matter. You can throw everything at us and, and we'll take it. Um, so, uh, so that's the foundation and you've got to build it from there. I love it. Commitment before ego. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. I'm going to pass it back to Marielle. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Any follow-up, final questions? But again, it's been a pleasure talking yeah. to both of you. Thank you so much. Uh well, I just have one one final question. Thinking about the overall uh, possibilities of inspiring, do you see this in the future expanding to any other areas? Maybe uh, I don't know, stay-at-home patients or something. Yeah, absolutely, one of the additional primary markets is the in-home environment, um, providing, uh, for example, for the elderly or um, the incapacitated, um, even long-term care facilities, um, because uh, as children are more are further. Uh, from the elderly parents. They want to be able to uh, keep track of their care and also an intelligent way to be able to analyze the care they receive throughout the day without having to stare at a video camera, right? Uh, so Inspiring offers that uh, capability and um, that is actually a huge market that we're getting into. And uh, not surprisingly, one of the highest demands for that market actually comes from Asian countries where the elderly population are ballooning uh, out of control. And, um, and this is where the technology is really gonna shine, uh, to be able to bring a peace of mind um, to family members who, who, have, um, who have those that are under the care of others. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Carlos, wanna introduce next week's guest? Actually, yeah, I was about to, well, actually it's not gonna happen next week. We, we don't, we still, we're still waiting for confirm right, confirmation. Yes, but we're gonna have uh, what? I, this is just a quick announcement before we all go. Uh, I'd like to mention that on July the tenth, as a matter of fact, we are gonna be. Uh, that kind of leads me to the women in tech um, topic, because we're gonna be having a conversation with. Uh, let's let me get the name so you have it all, and then. Uh, 
there, folks. We just got this like today. So let me just pull it up. Uh, we're going to be speaking with the founder, actually, of. Just give me a minute and I'll pull it up. I'll be broadcasting from New York City that day. Yeah. Bianca. Um, brilliant guy. Yeah. Her name is Bianca. Jain, or I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, right, but it's Jain. It, it'll be all there on the website, on Dojo Live website. It's not updated yet, but I just wanted to mention this. And we're going to be uh, speaking with her. She is the founder of a company called Airing, which is about, uh, let's see what it's about. And I'll tell you all right now. Of course, like I said, it, it'll all going to be there on the website by the end of the day today. We're going to be, it's... Uh, Data-driven business solutions. They solve complex business problems, align stakeholders, develop companies' data DNA, and deliver rapid ROI. That's what's on the website. Anyway, it'll all be there. So that's going to be on July the 10th. And for next week, we're, gonna, we're still uh, waiting for confirmation. So I don't have that info yet. But without further ado, what I'd like to say, um, um, Paul and Michael, I'd like to thank you big time for having been with us today. On behalf of myself and, of course, my fellow teammates, Tulio and Mariel. And um, I'm going to ask you to work, stick around for a minute just to wrap up when, once we go off the air. And okay. uh, that's pretty much all I have. Again, Tulio, thank you. And Mariel, thank you. Asar. Thank you all. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.